This is Tim Tap, host of Tap Into the Truth that you can hear every Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on the K-Star Talk Radio Network, Liberty Talk FM, ZMA Radio, and the Vera Networks. Command code verified. is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you, as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And we are so glad to have you here along for the ride, as always. It is Friday night. It is the live show. And we are going to have both informative and fun topics tonight. Now, our scheduled guests uh, begin with Wayne Black, a gentleman that has recently written a comprehensive book that every parent and probably every educator across the country should have a copy of. Uh, He brings to light 45 years of security knowledge from his professional works. We'll talk more about his resume 
just uh, before we bring him on. Uh, looking forward to talking with uh, Mr. Black. We are scheduled to be joined by Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Virginia, Miss Winsome Shears. Uh, she's going to be calling in to us, so uh, hopefully all goes as planned there. And then in the second hour, we have blocked away the entire hour to talk with Matt Fitzgibbons. Of course, you know him as the founder uh, of patriotmusic.com. You know him as a historian and a great musician. Uh, we'll be talking about the current condition of professional music and how it seems that the age of protest songs have come back around. But before we get into anything else, you guys know the routine. We got to uh, talk about the sponsors, right? I mean, they are helping to bring me to you, so... Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and start today with our friends over at Vanish Holsters. Now, I've said it before several times. I will probably say it quite a few more. The surest path to tyranny is to give up your guns. The quickest way to become a victim of violent crime is to not have your firearm with you when you need it. And one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of gun owners like myself uh, tend to make, I've done this in the past, we'll pick out a holster and then we'll find out it's just not that comfortable to carry. Uh, in the process, we eventually stop carrying, at least for a little while at any rate. And if that very terrible, horrible, no good moment should rise where you have to defend yourself or your family, friends and neighbors, whatever it may be, comes and you don't have your firearm with you, you are at a terrible disadvantage. Uh, don't put yourself in that situation because of comfort alone. Uh, check out Vanish Holsters. They have thousands of customers that will swear to you that they are the most comfortable holster out there, period. Many of those same thousands of customers will tell you that if you start using a Vanish Holster, you'll never stop carrying. So if you are a legally eligible to carry and uh, you are keeping up with your uh, your training on the range, making sure that you are going to be able to effectively use that firearm, then you need to make sure that you're visiting our friends over at Vanish. Uh, it's designed to save you money by virtue of working with almost every semi-automatic handgun that's out there. Uh, it will allow you to carry two magazines as well. So if you have to do a quick reload, you've got them right there. And it's designed to work without a tactical belt so that also allows you to change uh, your carry position all things that are very helpful towards that comfort and money saving technique now i warned you if you waited till after august the discount was going to change and it has uh, also they've had to and they've asked me to apologize to you they've had to raise prices a bit uh, bidenomics is taking a big bite out of them the way it has everybody else but i'm still encouraging you to go visit www.vnsh.com backslash t-a-p-p use the backslash t-a-p-p it's not going to give you $50 anymore, but it will still automatically activate for you a $40 discount. Not as good as before, but it's still better than nothing. And again, in the age of Bidenomics, who cannot afford to miss the opportunity to save something? Uh, they're also kind of warning that there may be more price increases before the end of the year, uh, supply chain issues being what they are. So again, don't hesitate, don't wait, just go visit www.vnsh.com backslash T-A-P-P. With all that said, 
I believe it is time for us to bring on our first guest. As I've already mentioned, already teased, we have a gentleman by the name of Wayne Black. Now, if you're not familiar with him, you need to make yourself familiar by virtue of picking up a copy of School Insecurity, a complete guide for parents and educators on school safety, protecting your children, and fostering a safe learning environment. Uh, like I said, his resume is quite extensive. Uh, he is the founder of Wayne Black & Associates, a Miami-based security consulting firm. He was a Miami-Dade police detective and then later on worked with the organized crime group supervisor for the state attorney, Janet Reno. Later, uh, he also was part of the personal security detail for former Secretary of State Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, needless to say, the man knows what he's talking about when it comes to personal security and uh, uh, infrastructure security as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. First time guest, Mr. Wayne Black. Wayne, thank you so much for joining us today. I uh, appreciate you taking some of your time out to come uh, visit with us. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, first and foremost, I, I really want to start out with the fact that school security has continued to show itself to be flawed at best. Most schools fail to have an actual plan. Uh, they have rough estimates uh, of what they would like for you to do, but a lot of those are based on antiquated ideas uh, that no longer really – uh, mesh with what modern threats look like. This is something that you pointed out quite a bit due to a recent bomb threat. Um, if we really want to take a look at why you wrote School Insecurity, what would be the primary purpose that you decided that now is the time for it and why so many parents and educators in particular need to know and comprehend what's going on in the book? Well, good question. I, I, I was triggered by what happened in Loudoun County, Virginia, when the father stood up and got arrested for complaining that his daughter was raped in school. You'll recall that one. Um, and it's really, school security isn't going to change. That's the reason I called it school insecurity. It's not going to change until parents and grandparents stand up, talk to school boards at meetings, talk to principals, and ask, what are you doing to protect my child and who is in charge, not some amorphous committee. Schools don't know what they don't know. So if they don't have a security director or they don't have good advice, they form a committee and they make things up. So people like me don't come out and write curriculum for schools and school committees shouldn't dream that they know anything about security. So that's what it's about. It's not so much about guns, although that's important to have a, an armed SRO school resource officer. They have to have a plan, and if they don't have a plan, they really plan to fail. That's really what it's about. My assessment checklist that I used when I travel around the country doing security assessments at schools, that checklist is in the book. So they can take that book to the school board meeting, stand up, and ask those questions. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really like is the fact that um, you acknowledge the fact that Parents should know this. Teachers should know this. You've gotten some positive feedback from there. But you say point blank, there's probably going to be a lot of administrators that don't like this. In fact, 
the question arises a multitude of times. I know just recently here in Tennessee, there was a big to-do about increasing budgets across the board to try to help provide better security against potential uh, shootings and the like. And you come out and make the point that, yes, they make these arguments and that there are budgetary concerns, but when it comes right down to it, there are certain things that you think you can't afford. There are other things that you can't afford not to do, and school security is one of those things that they really should be looking to squeeze dollars out of. How much kind of pushback have you been getting from school administrators since the book's been out for a little bit now? Well, um, not much, believe it or not. A lot of private schools will just go ahead and do what needs to be done. But I came to Tennessee about a week after I got called after that the school shooting there, uh, where the where the uh, the poor children were 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 killed, um, and that was top of mind for a lot of people. So when when a school or a school board tells me about budget, most of these things, the plan itself doesn't cost anything, but Let's say there's a budget for an SRO or something like that. I ask them, if they say they don't have enough money, I say, well, how much money do you spend on that Las Vegas trip for teachers every year? And by the way, what is a child's life worth? And this is what parents and grandparents need to do. They need to stand up and say, what's my child's life worth? We can protect a sporting event. We can protect the president. And our kids are just as important as a president. Yeah. I mean, and I would suppose that probably quietens it down quite a bit, because when you put it in that context, it's hard to argue against it. And that's, again, part of what I really appreciate about your uh, your method of communicating. But uh, what would you say during your assessments? Now, you do go around, you do assessments. What would you say was probably the worst situation that you saw where there seemed to be difficulty in getting the message across? Of course, not having to name names, but what kind of situations existed there? Okay, uh, that's a good question. I tell you, one of the first things I do when I do an assessment is I park maybe half a block away from a school, and I walk onto the parking lot, through the parking lot, and a lot of times I can walk right into the school and be sitting in a classroom when the teacher and the kids come. And if And parents and grandparents should try this obviously not armed if you have a permit, the permit doesn't work in a school. But right. if you can do that, that's a huge problem. So the biggest thing that I find is normalcy bias. It can't happen to us. We haven't had a school shooting at our school, so we must be doing something right. That's false pro- positive insecurity. And look, in, even in the country, we've had a failure of imagination about security, right? We didn't imagine Pearl Harbor, the USS Cole. We didn't imagine 9-11. So with everything that's happening in our country, now's the time to protect our children, especially if the school name is provocative. And what I mean by that, if the school name has so-and-so Christian school, something American, the word American in it, um, those schools are are potential targets from the outside. They're a potential terror target, not just from an, an inside shooter, a disaffected employee. Yeah. Well, would you, uh, during the course of your assessment, say that you came across a few systems that were actually up to your standards? Were there folks that were really doing everything that they reasonably could and doing it in a good way without having that complacency? Yes, yeah. In a couple, in Texas and in Florida, 
where the law is, the governor signed in a law that they have to have an SRO, they have to do their own assessments and things like that. A lot of private schools around the country, because they don't have that political mess of a board and, and, and all that big decision-making group that's in the paralysis of analysis at all times, you know, those are, those are pretty good. So when I go into school, I say, where do you want to be? From zero to 10, 10 being an embassy level, where do you want to be? Give me a number. And where do you think you are now? And surprisingly, most schools are truthful. They say, well, I think we're like at a three. We might be at a four. And then if you talk to a teacher, teacher might say, well, we're at a two because we had a bum walk into our school the other day. And so it's, it's all over the map. Again, it depends on what state. It's interesting about Tennessee is, and we found this out after those shootings, is you can have an armed person at a school in Tennessee unless it's pre-K. There's something in your law, and I hope your governor, I hope he, I think the attorney general or somebody changed that with an executive order. But that's, that's, that's an old law, and it was surprising to me when I found out about that. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. Uh, so far, what would you say the general reaction to the book has been towards your target audience? Have you been getting a lot of positive feedback? Uh, have you gotten much in the way of negative feedback? Because it would really surprise me if you did, but then it never ceases to surprise me uh, how some people will react to it. I haven't got any negative, believe it or not. It's number one on Amazon. It's so it's you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, or on my website, WayneBlack.com. Um, so it's it's really selling well, and I hope parents use it. It's really an inexpensive guide. It's soft cover, uh, so you can leaf through it, make some notes. We set it up like a guidebook, so uh, it's good. The only negative, the only kickback I ever got on anything, was from the police chief in Uvalde. After I wrote an article in The Federalist about that that insane failure that they had out there, uh, he had somebody call me and say he was going to sue me for defamation. And I said, great, come on, and we'll we'll be happy to take your deposition. And he was fired a couple of days later. So I don't even, I'm not even sure who called, but somebody called me from out there and said that the chief was angry because I said that his people showed cowardice. Mm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's hard for law enforcement officers to admit when they mess up, primarily because a lot of them uh, do go through the training. Uh, a lot of them are dedicated to trying to do the job. And then you do fall into that complacency level that you talked about. But beyond that, you also have this issue of having to follow orders. Are the orders proper? How do you go about the business? How do you best uh, deal with it once the situation is there? And it just kind of leads, Uvalde is a really good example, uh, a situation that you're probably a little closer to being based out of Miami down at the uh, Marjorie uh, Stoneman Douglas High School event that happened uh, several years ago. Uh, once the situation's already occurred, all you can see then is trying to deal with a bad situation, and it's hard to find a good way to go about it. But the lack of a plan shines through as well. Uh, how would you have uh, graded through your assessments uh, those particular instances and some of the more more famous shooting events, uh, including the Nashville shooting, if you'd want to, as far as if they had been following your checklist, could it have been avoided completely or would it have at least been safer? Uh, your general thoughts on these. Okay, so after Columbine, 
when the, the general rule in law enforcement was to wait for a SWAT team to stack up. All that changed after Columbine. And the, the, the deal is, the, the protocol is, first officer get there, uh, gets there and responds and engages the threat. He walks over those injured and engages and neutralizes the shooter. And so when that didn't happen at Parkland, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, we were just blown away. I mean, it was over an hour, and a, a lot of those kids died because of that. And then after, and then Uvalde just blew us away. It was just un, unconscionable the way that happened. And it's part, partly to do with lack of training, lack of engagement. It's not so much command. The first guy there should have gone in. And if you look at the video, you see the guy holding his ears with the first officer running back. And, yeah, it hurts your ears. So I say to those guys, if you're not going to engage, then go sell car insurance. We pay you to go in. We don't pay you to come back out all the time, but we pay you to go in. That's your job. And uh, I've run into gunfire. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. It's scary. Your ears hurt and all the rest. But that's your job. So if you're, if you're not committed, if you don't have the cognitive training, and the tactical training to do it, then pick another uh, occupation. Yeah, yeah it, it is a tough job, and not just anybody can do it. And I think, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of instances, not even just directly related to these cases, but in other scenarios as well, people that are unsuited for the job find their way into it. And uh, it is... Uh, it's just getting to be a scarier and scarier world every year. We see these levels of disconnect, and we see a lot of children and youngsters, young adults that are going through these mental health crises, and and they get so isolated, and it's just a situation where they see via social media other people that are doing other nefarious things and you can easily study what a terrorist might be trying to do and then you could easily see and i kind of circle back around because we mentioned uh, your recent response to uh, a not that long ago bomb threat at a school where if they had a complex plan where they call in uh, a bomb threat to expose more people to another area we see similar things with terrorists where they will detonate a small device to force first responders to show up and then they detonate the real planned uh, device with much more brutality uh, what would you recommend other than what's on your list as far as what people really need to understand about uh, the risk assessment well they need to have a plan basically but yeah with the bomb threats and the fire alarms most school shooters pull a fire alarm Remember, a shooter is not going to shoot what he or she can't see. So lo the lockdown is the default, I think. All right. Um, this is so wisdom. All right. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, you have some hello? Background. Uh, hello, uh, Lieutenant Governor. We're, we're just scheduled to have you here in just a moment, if you'll bear with us. Oh, Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, first and foremost, again, thank you so very much for your time today. As always, I appreciate it, uh, sir. Uh, please feel free to uh, let everybody know where they can find the book and uh, share your websites. And uh, if you're inviting people to follow you on social media, feel free to share your handles and platforms as well. Okay, thank you. 
Uh, it's at wayneblack.com, and uh, schools can call me. I'm happy to talk to them anytime. Same with parents. The book's available at that website. Also, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Books A Million, and it's in uh, audio form as well. All right. Again, thank you so much, uh, sir. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Wayne Black. Uh, be sure to check everything out, and we will have uh, links in the show description for the podcast after the fact. Godspeed to you, sir, and I uh, hope we get a chance to talk again, uh, hopefully uh, about good things. Thank you very much for having me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Mr. Wayne Black. And as you can hear, we already have on the line, so uh, we will go ahead and uh, bring on our next scheduled guest. She is the Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Virginia. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Miss Winsome Shears. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule. How are you doing today? I am doing quite fine, and I'm sorry I broke in there. I didn't realize that we were recording. Uh, no, no, we're uh, we're live and uh, that's perfectly okay. Uh, all right, uh, let's kind of jump into things. I wanted to talk to you, of course, about the new book, and then I wanted to touch on a, a couple of uh, other factors before we uh, said our goodbyes for the evening. So let's get started right with the brand new books. It's a, a memoir uh, called "How Sweet It Is: Defending the American Dream," and again. It never ceases to amaze me, Lieutenant Governor, how it takes someone coming to the United States to truly appreciate the promise of America and how great she still is, despite all of her many blemishes. The fact that working together, we've overcome a lot. We've come a long way together, and there's still so much more to do. And so many people in the country, especially natural-born citizens, just take it for granted and don't understand that anymore. You know, my grandmother used to have a saying that you never miss your water until the well runs dry. In other words, you don't miss something until you lose it. Well, we can't afford to lose our freedoms here in America. And then we'll say, well, you know, I wish, I wish. No, we have to make sure that our liberty is not at stake. And the way that we do that is by getting involved politically, especially, uh, you know, the part about of the people, by the people and for the people. Well, we're the people. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, they make a big deal about you being the first black woman to be elected to state office. Uh, I think it is really cool that you were, in fact, a naturalized citizen. Um, I think all the rest is window dressing because you didn't get elected because you were black. You didn't get elected because you were a woman. You got elected because you were the best candidate for the position. You proved that on the campaign trail. You continue to prove it as you go. Uh, so in the book, How Sweet It Is, you basically recount a lot of that upbringing, what led you to come to the United States in the first place, what led you to join the United States Marine Corps and to serve honorably there with – and what led you into the realm of politics. So my question is, at this point in your story, I'm still astounded that I still run into people who don't know who you are. Uh, is this an attempt to try to make sure that more people know your story and understand that, yes, they too can do the same thing, that they don't have to uh, float adrift on uh, the less left-wing ideology of America is bad and you're just a victim? Well, I think more than anything, it's to talk about, the, well, I talk about some of the tragedies that have happened in my life and to say, 
that we have to keep going. You know, we, we have to rise and, and we can't be in our bedroom slippers, as I've said, and our house coat. And we've got to go forward. Forward is the way we've got more life to live. We, we have to keep overcoming. And then uh, I talk about the political issues that I've faced. You know, I mean, I, I've faced death threats that were credible enough that the state police uh, wired my house and wired my phones. You know, our young children were, were just, you know, worried about what would happen. And all because here I was, a black woman running as a Republican. Some people thought that that was not the right thing to do. And so, you know, that's another thing we as Republicans don't want to be like the Democrats who say to me, because if I don't vote Democrat, then I'm not black. Well, we, we are starting to do some of that now where we're, we're telling people if you don't vote a certain way, you know, in the Republican Party, then we're not Republicans. We can't be the Democrats. No, we've got to let each other be and then, you know, coalesce around our nominee. So, we, folks, uh, we're all about freedom. Freedom is expensive. And as uh, President Reagan said, it's only one generation away from being taken from us. We can't let that happen. Yeah. Well, I tell you, one of the things that I admire most about you is your direct uh, style of communication. But unlike a lot of people, you don't typically fall into the traps of being divisive. You are inclusive and you do it in a fashion where you remind, uh, much like the things you've already said uh, earlier in this conversation, you remind people that we are essentially in this together and there is – uh, a way to to move forward together, and I really do like that. Uh, however, as we know, the folks on the other side of the political aisle tend to they tend to like to divide, whether they admit it or not. They claim to champion uh, inclusivity, but they love being able to put people in labels and uh, uh, little boxes with all those labels, so that we can stay so busy fighting amongst ourselves that we don't pay much attention to what they're really up to. But, that's it. That's it. And, and you see those on the extreme left, they they truck in um, divisiveness because then they can swoop in as our political savior, which we don't need a political savior. We just need to be left alone and and then uh, say, well, we will make everything equal for you, and especially equal outcomes. Folks, you know, there is no such thing in life as equal outcomes. Even if you give everybody a thousand dollars. There's always going to be somebody with more because they're going to use it wisely. So we, we've just got to make sure that these people who would divide us, who always seem to know better how to spend our own money than we do, who know what's best for our children, who just seem to can't mind their own business, uh, we've got to let them know, you know that that doesn't work with us. We're Americans, and we're going to vote how we vote, and then we're going to come together. And, you know, we couldn't have one for example, in Virginia, if we were if we weren't able to convince enough Democrats and enough independents to come and vote for common sense. So I think that's the same state with America. It, whoever we nominate, they've got to be able to win in November. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be right back at square one and wringing our hands and wondering what in the world are we going to do? We can't afford that. The prize is November. Yeah. All right. I wanted to touch on a uh, topic real quick away from the book, if you have time. Uh, you talked about winning in Virginia. A lot of that for both you and the governor uh, had a lot to do with uh, citizens in the state finally seeing for themselves what was going on in the public schools under Democratic control. Uh, recently, uh, 
we've had a situation where the Biden administration's uh, Department of Justice tried to uh, get involved and act as a mediator uh, in one of the county schools where they were trying to decide whether or not uh, that school system was going to adopt uh, Governor Youngkin's uh, guidelines uh, for implementing as far as uh, the parental rights. Uh, the school system, of course, has rejected their idea, but we know the Biden administration wants to stick their nose into this issue because they don't like the idea that local school systems and parents get informed about what's going on in schools. Uh, does Is there anything going on in your office or the governor's office uh, to try and help make sure that the Biden administration keeps their nose out of Florida state business and the uh, school system's business? Oh, uh, I think you mean Virginia. Well, what we have, uh, our attorney general has already provided his opinion on the model policy guidelines that uh, Governor Yunkin has put forward and said that he is well within his rights and according to the law to provide policies and the school systems must adhere to them. And what uh, is, they're looking at now is what is the next step? And we've heard, you know, some parents might be looking at legal action. And I tell you, these school boards, they're, they're pretty much rogue. And that's why elections are important. And we've got to either put ourselves forward as candidates or we need to support the candidates, you know, door knocking, uh, give, a, give some money, uh, you know, uh, man the phones, something so that we can have good common sense policies, especially in education, uh, so important to our children's future, where they learn reading, writing, arithmetic, all the basic stuff and this, this other nonsense, you know, uh, is just nonsense. And that's why we're pushing also for parental school choice. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, again, Lieutenant Governor, obviously Jamaica's loss is America's gain and uh, certainly Virginia's gain. Thank you so much for joining us today. Real quick, let everybody know where they can find the book. And if there's anything else you'd like to share, final thoughts, or if you're inviting people to follow you on social media, feel free to share your handles and those platforms. Uh, basically, anything else you want to do before we say goodbye? Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, we have to preserve America for the next generation. We have to raise our children, of course, to take their place in society so that they can preserve America for the next generation. And and so we, we can't let anybody pull us down and pull us apart. My psalm that I used throughout my campaign for lieutenant governor was Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in peace and harmony. And that's what we want. You know, we just want our little piece of the pie. We want, you know, keep off my grass. I pay the mortgage around here. And, and you live your life and I'll live mine. And I love that about America. And imagine my dad came to America at the height of the civil rights movement with only a dollar seventy-five, figuring that even as a black man, that America was the blessed, the best place for him to restart his life, to get a second chance. And so I'm just glad for America. I'm going to keep fighting for her. Get my book, How Sweet It Is. You can buy it at Amazon or anywhere books are sold. And visit me, winsomefears.com. All right. Again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, I hope we get a chance to talk again sometime soon and maybe get into some more of the uh, meat and potatoes of uh, politics and uh, about 
how much America is awesome, because that's one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, Godspeed to you, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, sir, and God bless you and your listeners. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is the Lieutenant Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Virginia, uh, Miss Winston Sears. And, uh, yeah, the new book, How Sweet It Is, there will be links in the show description and the podcast after the fact if you missed it. But uh, it's not hard to find on Amazon if you're willing to go there. All right, uh, let's let's prepare for the – the mid-hour break that we're doing just a little late but uh when the lieutenant governor of virginia calls you go ahead and take the call that's what we do around here anyway all right before we uh move to the mid-hour break though i do need to remind you about our friends over at four patriots uh four patriots of course uh they are there to try to make sure that you are prepared for when things go a little wonky uh, and by that, I mean uh, the electricity goes off for an extended period of time. There's civil unrest. You need emergency survival food kits. You need backup electricity. Uh, I, I had my sidekick out charging it using the solar panels, and it occurred to me that I've never told you the part that I think is the coolest aspect about the solar panels that come with the sidekick for you to charge. And that is it actually has USB ports, so you could directly charge your phone or other USB device from the solar uh, package themselves without having to actually engage the sidekick if you were just carrying around the solar panels, which is easy to do because of how they're folded. But you just got to check it out for yourself. Uh, It's phenomenal, and I can't believe I didn't mention it before, but I realized it the other day when I was opening it up and setting it out here to charge, and I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever talked about that. So something else to keep in mind, uh, another aspect, and just one more way that 4Patriots is working to make sure you have everything you need in the event of an emergency. So... As I usually ask you to do, just go check it out for yourself. I mean, don't take my word for it. Go take a look. You can do that by visiting 4Patriots.com. Once you're there, if you start loading up that shopping cart and decide that there's things that you have to take with you, well, then guess what? Put in promo code TAP, T-A-P-P, save yourself 10% on your total order, however much it may be. They've got all kinds of great stuff, and I could take hours to sit here and describe some of my favorite stuff over at the website, but that doesn't make for great radio, so just go see for yourself up on your leisure. Just remember the number 4, Patriots.com, and don't forget to use promo code TAP, T-A-P-P, at checkout. And uh, we'll be back right after this. Susan Daniel, private investigator, author of the Rubbish Haulers, Wife versus Barack Obama, website SusanDanielsPI.com, and I'm listening to uh, Tim Tap and Tap the Truth. These rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows it all, just want to have total control, want to know what you think. Leftist elites are desperately conjuring up ways to control we the people from cradle to grave, including 
digital banking. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. In France, people have a perfect approach to digital banking. A well-known supermarket there went cashless. A large group of people decided to all shop at the cashless supermarket on the same day, filling their market cards to the brim, each shopper having everything scanned before bringing out cash. The staff was overrun and management in a tizzy. All customers repeatedly, calmly, and in an organized and polite fashion, acting as if they knew nothing. No rudeness, no humiliation, offering no other method of payment than cash, and willing to leave their groceries if cash was not accepted. And guess what? The supermarket management realized that the only logical choice was to reinstate cash payments. Next up, restaurants, where groups of friends going out for dinner and nobody taking phones or credit cards. Just cash. The reason why it works, and I believe it can work here in the U.S., if organized in large, super nice and polite groups, it needs to be a carefully orchestrated way to say no to tyranny. To be free, we must say no to oppression. To remain free, we must take action. I'm Ron Edwards. These stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. The challenge we all have is that as you work and you grow in your career, you have to put something aside for yourself when you retire around 65 years old. And the idea of Beanstalks is to simplify that whole process. In other words, Put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key, the idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bi-monthly. But the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. Introducing Einstock. Drink. Conquer. Repeat. Einstock beer is a globally distributed, award-winning Icelandic craft beer. Einstock is created from the Icelandic water that flows from glaciers through lava fields and delivers some of the purest water on Earth. Knowing that beer is 95% water, we source the first and most vital ingredient from the local springs of a mountain that stands guard over the town of Akiari just 60 miles south of the Arctic Circle. Einstock beer is crafted with locally sourced ingredients, and the brewery runs from 100% renewable energy sources, geothermal and hydropower. Einstock has become the number one craft beer and also the number one alcohol export from Iceland. Here in the United States, you can find Einstock beer on the shelves at retail chains like ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, Bemmo, 
Cost Plus World Market, HEB in Texas, Kroger, Publix, Target, Total Wine, Trader Joe's, and Whole Foods, just to name a few. So won't you raise a glass and drink, conquer, repeat, skull. When I invented my pillow, my passion was to help each and every one of you. And 20 years later, all of your support is what keeps us going. Because of you, we've been able to create thousands of USA jobs and help millions get the best sleep ever. To thank you, my employees and I are bringing you a limited edition my pillow. The Giza Elegance My Pillow is made with my patented adjustable fill, the most amazing cotton, and a two-inch pipe gusset. It has four custom loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and you get my 60-day money-back guarantee and 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code TAPP or call 1-800-659-9936. That's MyPillow.com with promo code TAPP. From all of us here at MyPillow, thanks for Hi, this is Matt Fitzgibbons at PatriotMusic.com. If you share my passion for the simple but timeless principles that made our republic great and you like rock music, check out my five albums and videos on American history at PatriotMusic.com. You say gun control is using both hands. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn U.N. This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap Into The Truth. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday night. We are live and we are rocking the Casbah and any other place that's listening. I certainly hope that you guys are enjoying the show so far. Uh, We've uh, already had two great guests. And before we go into anything else, I need to talk to you about the fact that, obviously, Woke has invaded the healthcare profession as much as any place else. It's getting downright dangerous to need a doctor. So, obviously, it's up to you to take your health into your own hands. And one of the ways you can go about doing that, especially if you're worried about your heart, your memory, or your swollen, achy joints, is to visit our friends over at Native Path and check out their Antarctic Krill Oil Supplement because it could help put an end to issues with all three of those. So if you got all three going on, it's a real no-brainer to give it a shot. In the meanwhile, you definitely want to check it out. It can help you with any one of them. It's worked wonders for me with my achy joints. I can tell you with no uncertainty, the word miracle is not outside of the vernacular that I would use to describe how well it has worked for my ankles in particularly, but my knees too. 
Now, it has been shown to support healthy blood pressure, circulation, brain health, as well as to reduce inflammation, swelling, and joint pain. And right now, there's no better time to try it for yourself. Just go to FixSwollenFeet.com. You can get up to 58% off Native Path Antarctic Krill. Uh, the Krill oil is pure. It's effective. It is bioavailable, which is just a fancy way of saying it's easily absorbed by the body and put to work. It contains omega-3 fatty acid, which also helps to reduce inflammation and swelling. For a limited time, you can grab Native Path Antarctic Krill Oil for the low, low price of $23 a bottle. Just go to FixSwollenFeet.com. They'll know I sent you. They went back to that URL. I think as much as I still want to chuckle when I think Fix Swollen Feet, I think it's a lot easier to remember than the uh, stopmyinflammation.com backslash T-A-P-P, which does still work, by the way. But uh, this is the one they want us to use. So, again, go check it out for yourself. Again, it is good for you. Now, we have a few minutes left here in the first hour. So I wanted to take a little bit of time talking about this news story that uh, I think is a good example of how when the court system works the way it's supposed to, it doesn't necessarily make you happy, regardless of what side you're on. Uh, this one has got some conservatives upset, but all in all, I kind of think the argument uh, is a legitimate one. A federal judge has blocked a new Texas law that would require pornographic websites to verify users' ages and issue health warnings. Now, Judge David Ezra, a Reagan appointee, by the way, this past Thursday ruled that HB 1181 was unconstitutional and issued a preliminary injunction against it, saying that the law goes, quote, far beyond the interest of protecting minors. Now, the judge ruled that the law is vague and would violate Texas First Amendment rights. Uh, quote here, by verifying information through government identification, the law will allow the government to peer into the most intimate and personal aspects of people's lives. <sighs> See, I really wish I had an argument against that, but that is one of those little unintended consequences that a lot of folks weren't thinking about when they wrote the law, and I think it's accurate. Now, why I don't recommend nor do I think it's healthy for adults to be spending a whole lot of time looking at pornography uh, regardless of what level. In fact, uh, half of Hollywood movies these days probably crosses the line. It's still a bridge too far as far as allowing the government to know exactly what it is you're up to, and by using government identification, you are doing exactly that. Uh, continuing to quote from his opinion, it runs the risk that the state can monitor when an adult views sexually explicit materials and what kind of websites they visit. In effect, the law risks forcing individuals to divulge specific details of their sexuality to the state government to gain access to certain speech. It's hard to argue. It seems like that's pretty much the case. We know that government overreach happens all the time. It's part of what we fight against all the time. The judge continued, such restrictions have a substantial chilling effect. The law would have required websites with one-third pornographic content 
to post several public health warnings about the psychological dangers of pornography, which I think is a good idea. I think they should be doing it. At this point in time, we have seen that psychological damage is being done, that long-term damage is being done because we have seen the uh, results of younger and younger people being exposed to more hardcore and hardcore pornographic images. And as we see that increase, we've seen an increase in promiscuity. We've seen an increase in a lack of true sexual identity, a lead to confusion of sexual identity, because ultimately what happens is the less sex you have growing up, the more rewarding that married life is within that realm. And the more promiscuous, the more wild you get when you participate when you see the images of the threesomes and you think that's how it's supposed to go so then you uh, make friends with people that are going to do that because they've been watching the same pornographic images then by the time they're in their late 20s early 30s what is left for you to do that leads to any type of satisfaction this leads to psychological deviancy that tends to move into the realm of violence uh, the the data is there, so putting the the health warning that seems like a good thing. I would like to see a lot of these websites if they're going to continue to conduct their business, put those warnings up anyway of their own volition. I don't think there should need to be laws um, to require it. But beyond the public health warnings about the psychological dangers, it also was going to require a verification of the user's age with their ID or another government-issued method. Adult websites would be required to warn users that the pornography is potentially biologically addictive and is proven to harm human brain development, desensitizes brain reward circuits, increases conditioned responses, and weakens brain function. Now, I don't I haven't seen uh, all the supporting evidence that goes quite that far, but I do think we have seen the result of some people that if they have a porn addiction, you have to kind of wonder if there isn't diminished brain function. Anyway, the adult sites would also have to post a mental health hotline number and inform users that pornography is associated with low self-esteem and body image, eating disorders, and emotional and mental illnesses. Finally, sites would have to alert users that consuming pornography increases the demand for prostitution and child exploitation. These disclosures uh, state scientific findings as a matter of fact. When in reality, they range from heavily contested to unsupported by evidence. Again, I'm quoting now from the judge in his ruling. These disclosures state scientific findings when, in fact, there is a certain amount of truth to the contested nature of some of these statements. But I think common sense tells you and where we're at in our society uh, perfectly demonstrates that the idea i'm not overly concerned about the demand for prostitution um that to me seems like a completely different issue but when it comes to child exploitation that is something that i think those warnings should be up as well uh, 
The problem here is for the industry, they don't want those kind of things associated with their business. They don't want you thinking even for a second that these are the kind of negative aspects that happen. So do they need to be compelled? Are we going to see a change with these type of warnings being placed without the compelling nature of law and then those laws being enforced? Well, probably not. So, again, I'm not happy with it, but I do see the point that the judge is making, and any true conservative can certainly understand as much as we would like to see a law put in place that would quell the access of this type of pornographic material for minors and would certainly limit uh, the free-falling nature of just not understanding all the potential risks because unfortunately we do live in a time where if we don't spell it out, hey, this coffee is hot, there's a lot of people that may not understand that hot can burn. We, we are, we're in that age now. I'm hoping we can come out the other side and get back to the point where common sense will start to rule the, the day again, but there's no guarantees. Companies that violate this law I call that the age of stupid. Uh, Doug, the producer in the uh, control room, just says, I call that age of stupid. Uh, he's absolutely right on this one. But at any rate, companies that violate the law would face a $10,000 daily fine if it is, quote, in the public interest. If a child accesses sexual material, the company could face fines of up to $250,000 per violation. Now, this law was designed to be serious. It was designed to cut down on these things. But the judge cited a 1999 decision by a federal appeals court striking down the Child Online Protection Act, which also tried to block minors from accessing adult content online. Now, I'm given the just basic fundamentals there. I can see why you might want to quote that, but I don't think it necessarily applies appropriately here as another um, supporting aspect to their law. It is unfortunate that uh, this judge has sided on this, but when you look at the judge's logic, it seems like the simple solution here is for the legislatures in Texas to go back, rewrite it, a little less vague, and let's try to cut out the unconstitutional aspects. Let's look for a better solution. The law can be redone, probably should be redone. Let's take all the excuses away from the judges. And meanwhile, let's reset the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. This is Tim Tap, host of Tap Into the Truth that you can hear every Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on the K-Star Talk Radio Network, Liberty Talk FM, ZMA Radio, and the Vera Network.
and you're listening to Tim Tap. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for being here as we slide headlong into hour number two of Tap into the Truth Friday Night Live edition. And we are having a blast. In fact, I wish you could see Doug in the control room. Uh, you can always tell when he's about to do uh, any of the liners with uh, Amy Hollum doing uh, that because he takes the headphones off. He plugs his ears because he knows it's about to get loud. Uh, thanks again to Amy for doing that liner as well. Glad to have uh that kind of support from the listeners it's fantastic uh we are scheduled to be joined by mr matt Fitzgibbons here for the second hour and uh i trust that we have connected yet uh, i'm uh, making sure no not yet oh he's right here yes sir yeah. i am here how you doing happy friday tim Happy Friday to you, Matt. Okay, evidently we must be on the same computer. I think Doug did tell me that earlier, but uh, it's hard to get those messages. Anyway, uh, glad to have you here, sir. Uh, before we get started, though, I do need to remind everybody about our friends over at FourPatriots.com. Uh, guys, uh, let me tell you something. Uh, Florida is in pretty good hands. They've got good leadership down there, and it's amazing how these terrible storms really uh, – they kind of go through, and then things get back to normal real quick with their current governor. Uh, I, I hope that the same kind of situation can be said as these terrible storms go to other places. Uh, we know you don't get the same kind of leadership uh, in, I don't know, say like Hawaii, for example, where the leadership was horrific. But the one thing that you can count on is if the infrastructure is down, if the supply chains are uh, disrupted – then if you have already been established purchasing survival food kits or uh, a backup generators or whatever it is that you would like to pick up that you could put to good use, uh, Four Patriots has probably uh, went a long way towards making sure these folks get through these types of problems a lot easier. And uh, all you have to do is go check them out. Go visit 4 That's the number 4Patriots.com. See what they've got going on. Uh, great stuff, though. The food tastes awesome. The uh, electric backup uh, emergency powers devices, they all work phenomenally. I was talking earlier back in the first hour about the little solar panel that comes with the sidekick. One of the coolest aspects is it does have uh, a USB port, so you literally can just plug up directly to the uh, solar panels and take that with you and, and charge. And I had realized uh, just this past week when I was charging up using it that here we are. Wow, and I'd never mentioned that, and I think that's pretty cool. Anyway, just visit 4 and don't forget to use promo code TAP at checkout when you decide to make a purchase, which I'm pretty sure if you see what they got to offer, you're probably going to get something. Uh, just fair warning. Don't go there if you're not ready to buy because you're going to see stuff you're going to want. I promise you. That's the number 4, Patriots.com. Use promo code TAP, T-A-P-P. -P. Save yourself 10% at checkout. Okay, with that out of the way, Mr. Matt Fitzgibbons, the founder of PatriotMusic.com and a tremendous historian as well as just flat-out awesome musician. Uh, welcome back to the show, sir, and uh, glad to have you on board again. How are you today? Thanks, Tim. Kind words. I appreciate it. Oh, happy. 
It's been a long week. It's a, it's a good Friday. It's a good way to end it off with you hanging out. All right. Glad to have you here, too. I uh, wanted to talk a, a little less on politics, but politics seems to find its way into everything. But a little more on uh, the current state of uh, the music profession as a whole. Uh, obviously, uh, music has always been one of those creative outlets for people that wanted to be counterculture, that wanted to protest something, that wanted their message to be heard. And we've seen examples of that for almost as long as music has existed, especially once lyrics started getting put to music. But uh, I really... I think we're seeing some different stuff going on now where there's almost an effort by the left because the left's not the counter uh, culture anymore. So you see them trying to find ways to uh, just diminish and uh, find ways to try and uh, say negative things about counter culture uh, musicians, including even creating false controversy that didn't even exist. Uh, I don't know how familiar you were with uh, Luke Combs uh, covering Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, but they literally created this false narrative that somehow this white guy has no business recording the song that was first made by a uh, queer person of color uh, who obviously could not uh, have anywhere near the same level of success with her song clearly showing that they had no idea Tracy Chapman had topped the charts with it and had done very good with it. But uh, just starting with that song, and we'll touch on a couple of other specific songs too and then some more generalities, but have you noticed also uh, within your own efforts in the industry an effort by the left now to just discredit everybody that now is just trying to perform music in general? Oh, it's been going on for decades. And, you know, this whole issue about Luke Combs, he played fast car and concerts for many, many years, you know, and, and these smug leftists write these articles and, you know, Time magazine, all the usual places. And, you know, they say it's a complicated issue. It's not complicated. You know, if you make an issue out of race, guess what? You're a racist. It's really that simple. It's not complicated. I mean, was it racist when uh, Run DMC played Aerosmith's, you know, Walk This Way in their rap version, you know, back in 1986? You know, did people say, oh, well, you know, a heavy metal band never could have gotten on the on the rap charts. I mean, give me a break. There, there's no controversy here. You know, I mean, he liked the song. He played the tune. She gets most of the money, introduced her art to an entirely different genre. I mean, let's face it. You know, there are no musicians out there that are that are going to be successful in every single genre. They're different. And the only reason that this is an issue is because. These rabid leftists, they they hate, you know, they hate everything that country and country music fans stand for. To them, you know, it's it's flyover territory and they're all a bunch of white nationalists, sexists, misogynists, you know, they're all straight and all these other horrible things. So they'll stop at nothing to just spew their vitriol. And at the end of the day, it's just a good song. It's really that simple. It's a good tune. Yeah, yeah, but it still just it aggravates me, Matt, and to see such an obvious attempt because, again, what made it clearly obvious in this instance that they had no idea what they were even talking about is how they played it off like Tracy Chapman was just not capable of being successful on her own that that her song was being appropriated away from her, uh, causing this 
completely false narrative. And all you had to do was spend less than five minutes research time on Google. And you instantly know that Tracy had a lot of success with that song. Wasn't even her best song off of the album as far as what she got airplay time with. And uh, it's just phenomenal to me to try to make it seem like, okay, now we've got to make this false controversy. And we saw the same thing. Uh, You mentioned country music. We'll stay in the country genre. Uh, Jason Aldean just recently, uh, everybody's still kind of, Uh, Try that in a small town, being racist, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the extension there, it's just so obvious that they're making something out of an event that's just not there. Um, We could make the same similar statement to something that uh, our uh, Florida governor uh, has recently said when it comes to looting in areas that have been affected by the hurricane. Uh, just don't do it. It's for your own benefit. Don't you do it. It's, to me, uh, being from a small town area, feels like a fair warning to those who haven't been down here and don't know any better. But again, the, to find racism there and to stretch so far to do it, uh, what was your initial reaction first time you heard try that in a small town? And uh, what would you say to somebody who thinks it's racist? Well, I mean... You know, at the end of the day, without victimhood status or double standards, the left's got nothing. I mean, that is exactly an all that they are. Um, I mean, many of us watch these cities burn down between BLM and Antifa and everything, and uh, that sort of violence was completely acceptable. Very few prosecutions. You know, the Justice Department looked the other way and continues to. They don't care about that. But I think ultimately... Not everybody on the left, but I'm talking about the angry left, you know, the fascist left, the ones that act like Hitler's brown shirts. You know, these guys are mad because they can't stop these artists or these messages. And a lot of it resonates uh, with the American people. They'll they'll do whatever they can to dig up, you know, as much dirt as they can on someone and then just go with it. And the thing that they had about Jason Aldean, of course, was the fact that the um, – The video was uh, filmed at the courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee. And, of course, it's got a history, you know, of uh, a black guy, Henry Cho, a black man who was uh, lynched back in 1927. But um, if anyone had even taken two minutes to dig into this or reached out and talked to Jason Aldean, you know, he's a big, big superstar, right? So they had a film company that found this location and thought it'd be ideal, not knowing the history. And he had no choice uh, didn't know anything about the filming location. You know, he got a call and said, be in, at such and such a place on such and such a time and date. Um, it's a nothing burger for them to, uh, to you know, to try to wrap him up in, in some sort of a controversy. There's, there's hardly a place in this country that, uh, that doesn't have some sort of assorted a, a history attached to it. But on the other hand, if they had been positive instead of, you know, quintessentially negative, they probably could have found some positive history in that courthouse, you know, probably at a ratio of 50 50 to 1, but they didn't look for that. They were looking for something to frame the guy because he's not one of them. Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't like the fact that he, in the process of the video, and again, as you pointed out, it's not him specifically. He didn't make the video. Uh, But in the video, they used actual footage of the George Floyd protest. They used actual footage of Antifa protests. 
and the left can't stand having that kind of activity exposed because then it proves to the whole world that they're not the peaceful standing up for everybody group that they keep claiming to be. Uh, you still have uh, left politicians trying to claim that Antifa is nothing more than an idea. Uh, certainly not an organized group going around and throwing bricks through people's windows and uh, burning down federal court buildings in uh, western states. Uh, certainly none of that. Well, that's certainly not BLM doing that out there, but uh, Black Lives Matter protesters, people that were working or in the name of the group, uh, did plenty of stuff here, too. I think one of the more interesting aspects of the so-called controversy there, too, was they had to take part of the footage out of the video and replace it with something else. And a lot of people thought that that was kind of a sellout and he was backing down. And in truth, again, uh, five minutes worth of research, probably not even that much, you find out that one of the video clips they used, uh, it was copyrighted material that they didn't have the right to use. And so they had to find something else. But it's funny how much people want to just run with the narrative before they look to the facts. It's just so astounding to me. Uh, but again, uh, listening to the song for the first time, uh, did you see it with the video the first time that you heard the song? No, I heard it. The first time I heard it, um, I then went and did some research, and um, I saw that it was like climbing way up in the, in the Spotify charts. Um, and I think maybe a day passed, and I saw the video, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Because, I mean, you know, I've done a lot of kind of similar things over the years to that. And um, the fact that they were using that footage, I thought, wow, that's really powerful and everything. And, uh, you know, I went back and listened to the song a couple of times and various people, you know, in music contacted me about it and some other pieces that I was researching at the time, some other big ones, some of the ones you wanted to talk about tonight included in that list. And, you know, I just saw that this is an anthem. It, it represents... Uh, what a lot of people are thinking and feeling, and uh, it's true. And then, of course, you have the quintessential left-wing attack dogs that come out, you know, like Sheryl Crow and her crew, you know, making their comments and using their platform. And, you know, I don't know. These people are just – they think they're too important. They just do. You know, like everything they say matters. And, yeah, there's a group of stupid people, I'll say it, who, who care about everything that people like Sheryl Crow say – you know, but at the end of the day, this is just art. You know, like you said, I think referring to it as modern protest music is really accurate. I think that's really what it is. Um, and ultimately, a lot of these musicians who've made success, um, who, let's say the political right has kind of um, adopted as their own, have turned around and said, um, you know, I'm, I'm not one of you. You know, so a lot of these musicians, you know, they're trying to ride in the middle of the road. Um, so it's pretty clear that I don't think Jason Aldean did this in order to offend anyone. I think he just did it because it was a piece of art. You know, I don't think it was consciously planned as much as it was a song that came out of him and he went with it. Yeah. Well, you know, it just... I've talked to two different groups of people, uh, the people that saw the video first after it was going viral, and then I've tried to talk to, and it's a much smaller group, by the way, so, and you fall into this, people that heard the song first before they saw the imagery that was involved. And I really love to get the different takes from the people 
that heard the song first, did not see the video, and just heard the, the lyrics of the song for what it was. And I've gotten a way wider range of responses from those folks. Uh, and again, there's good reason for that, because if you're not from a small town, it's going to sound one way. If you've had time in a rural area, it sounds very different. So let me ask again, uh, based on the fact that you heard the song first, music only, no video to go with. What was your initial reaction to just the song other than, hey, that was cool? Well, you know, lyrics are really important to me. So there's two kind of caveats I want to, you know, say in this quick answer. Uh, the first one is um, my impression of the song didn't really change that much after having seen the video. And the reason is I heard the lyrics, I understood everything, and um, and I knew darn well what he meant. You know, I was actually looking for some some kind of double entendres and and some deeper meaning and everything that wasn't there. So I was listening really intently. But the other thing is, you know as a musician who's, who's written a lot of songs and done a lot of videos and everything. Um, I don't think my perspective changes if I see something versus hear it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when I put out a song and these guys, same sort of thing, you've heard that song. I don't even know, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours often, even, even for a quick song, you know? So I'm probably an anachronism in that respect. I think anybody who's made music videos, um, it doesn't really matter. The visual component is there. And I just think that what they did visually was one of many things that they could have done that matched the lyrics and it, and it worked. So it didn't change it for me. And besides, you know, I wasn't offended either way. Um, I just saw it as an anthem that a lot of people would uh, relate to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the usual market for country music, uh, you have a lot of the elements that tend to appeal to the country music uh, connoisseur. You had uh, small town country life, and you had the us against the big city mentality and a demonstration of what makes us different and, of course, in their minds makes them better, although that part, of course, is up for debate. But, uh, yeah, there was just a lot of elements that yeah, you could have went a million different ways with the video. It still could have been just as powerful. You didn't have to use that kind of footage. But I think there was a desire by whoever was putting the video together to try to once again demonstrate the fact that what is okay in the big city doesn't necessarily fly where the committee, the community is more close-knit, where, where you have folks that know at least the majority of their neighbors. And, you know, it's it's not like where you live in an apartment building where there's a hundred different folks and the only people you know are people that are in your family. Uh, it's a very different sense of community. So the song itself, and I'm with you, it didn't change much for me either. Uh, I was just shocked that it became controversial in anyone's eyes. Uh, again, partially, I suppose, because I had seen most of that footage before doing what I do here uh, with this uh, show. Uh, I had to watch a lot of other footage that probably would have been just as good uh, as far as trying to evoke the emotions they were going for. But I do think they did a good job of evoking those emotions. And uh, I think it ends up hitting a chord that uh, not a lot of people would have necessarily expected going in. Uh, I I think that uh, they did a bang-up job. I think he had a home run with this song as far as I'm trying to release, release a hit country song. I mean, of course, yeah, every song that they release, that's what they're trying to do. But if, you know, if I can just kind of change directions just for a, a, a little bit, you know, my grandmother used to say even Jesus fell three times. 
And the point is, is that every single one of us, every human being um, is fallible. You know, nobody is perfect. Um, and yet, if you were to look at this objectively, um, the whole scene, the fact that uh, anybody who dares uh, to not be a Marxist, for example, you know, they get ripped to shred shreds, you know, by this liberal media that refuses to report things, you know, like the Hunter Hunter Biden laptop story or this more recent thing that's going on with the massive voter fraud in Michigan that the FBI has been burying again. I mean, there are a million of these stories, right? But at the end of the day, how much do you see, you know, Rolling Stone and Time Magazine and all these other hardcore left-wing places uh, going after these hip-hop artists and all these other people who've done, like, vile, horrible things in their lives. I mean, there's so much nastiness if, if you wanted to look for it, but they don't. They don't. And they only look for it, you know, when it comes to people who are singing things about uh, traditional values. You know, I mean, I mean, look at all the, the left-winger anti-gun people, for example, in Hollywood who have no problem doing these action films, you know, with, uh, with firearms or... You know, the global warming advocates, Cheryl Crow, back to her. People who go on private jets and everything will lecture the rest of us about having to eat bugs. It's a double standard, and, you know, I don't buy any of it. I think what these these guys are doing, I think Jason Aldean, you know, more power to him, man. You know, just, just keep going. Keep writing more just like it. It's what people want to hear. Ignore the left. Who cares? They're liars. <laughs> well, that's perfectly well said, sir. Uh I, in fact, I don't even think I can follow up on that. that that's a pretty good uh, spot to uh, to uh, gravitate to, to the uh, the next uh, conversation point. And I'll circle back around to this some more uh, after we uh, touch on uh, the next artist I wanted to discuss. And uh, we'll hit that after the mid-hour break. So in the few minutes we have remaining before the mid-hour break... Uh, during your course of uh, writing your multitude of songs, a lot of fantastic music. And again, guys, if you haven't checked out PatriotMusic.com, if you haven't been listening to Matt Fitzgibbons, uh, you are missing out on a ton of great music. Uh, we just do still see this effort now that, I mean, it, it seems like in the past, protest music was pretty obvious to... Uh, the spot because it was right there out in the open. You knew what they were talking about. You knew what they were protesting uh, or you knew they were promoting the counterculture, one or the other. And now it seems like perfectly middle-of-the-road songs are falling uh, to the over-politicalization. I I don't understand this desire to make everything and every aspect political, but it does seem like the entertainment business, whether you're talking about music or whether you're talking about film, uh, all these industries, there has been a major push to just move to being full-blown Marxist. Can good art really stand much of a chance if you don't have access to social media? Uh, moving forward that's meant to be just down the road this is for everybody i'm not pandering to one side or the other i just want to do a good song i just want to tell a good story i just want to make a good movie without access to uh to social media does it stand a chance because it really seems like everybody that's in an executive producer role uh that's running a, a record label if you don't follow and help support the narrative they don't want you uh 
what what is the future of the industry like this? Well, I, you know, I don't. I actually, I do have a crystal ball, but <laughs> it was given to me many years ago. It's, I want to be able to say that expression to people. You know, I wish I had a crystal ball, but I actually have one. Stopped the house from burning down one day. I, I cut school early and came back, and the sun had hit it and started uh, this whole uh, wood piece of furniture on fire. So if I hadn't skipped school, the house would have burned down. That was like the one time I got away with it. But anyway, um, going back to your point, um, you know, because I heard Doug play a little bit of a piece of uh, um, Oliver Anthony's um, new song. And uh, he in particular is kind of indicative of uh, the answer to what you said. Um, We are seeing um, great success coming from people that are not towing, you know, the typical Marxist line and uh, they're taking over Spotify and they're taking over, you know, the uh, the Apple uh, iTunes charts as well. Now, granted, it's it's kind of a recent phenomena. Um, it is possible in terms of not having access to social media. You're 100 percent right about that. But on the other hand, uh, these guys have done it despite that. So I think they're two separate conversations. On the other hand, if you're asking me, is it harder to do it? while being uh, censored by these uh, big tech companies, definitely, it's definitely harder. Um, I mean, the truth is the kind of records that like Oliver Anthony broke, you know, these are, um, this is like a a one in a, one in a billion sort of a thing. Um, But on the other hand, uh, you know, these artists are all singing what's on the hearts and minds of Americans. And I guess you could argue that if if you were in big tech and you were one of these leftists, you know, that's used to uh, just hitting a button and shutting people down who have views that uh, you don't really want others to know about, you'd be pretty worried right now because it shows that without them, um, there are those who can have smashing success anyway. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it feels like that may be what's required in the future anyway. Uh, I mean – a lot of the folks in the creative industries, and it feels almost like an oxymoron to to refer to it as creative industries, because it feels like the industries are trying to destroy and wring out all the creativity from them. Uh, you see colossal failures like what's going on with Disney now. You see a multitude of record labels that turn down artists like yourself, and we seem to have moved away from the profit motive because – why is it you can't understand that people will pay more for quality stuff than just drivel that supports your narrative? Uh, I mean, almost every song I've heard from you, I love. And the ones I don't love, I still like. <laughs> Thanks, a lot of good stuff. It's a lot of great stuff. But you have had trouble even getting radio airplay, again, because you have a pro-American slant to almost every song you do. So is there a checklist of things that if you're an aspiring young musician that you want to throw out? I know I've I've asked you this before, but uh, what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to get started in the music industry with that in mind? Wow, boy, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I'd say talk to any of these guys, or, or like even John Rich, for example, his song "Progress." Uh, he just launched launched it on Truth Social, you know, Trump's uh, social media company, and and the, and it took off, and it, it, you know, it slammed all the charts as well. So um, this can be done. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and you know, and I've I've told you a handful of 
instances that I've encountered, and I know you've encountered it. I'm sure, you know, vast majority of your listeners have been put in Facebook jail, you know, many, many times, and they know what the, what the left is all about, shutting down their opinions and everything. But I try to partition the two things because on the one hand, though that's true, um, you know, I was doing a search earlier today, for example, on this uh, Michigan voter fraud story, and I had to go to Freespoke instead of Google. Google's got nothing. Um, they they are not listing anything. And, you know, yet it's on the Gateway Pundit, PJ Media. It's on some some really big, reputable sites. Um, it's brand news, brand new news, but uh, Google doesn't want people to hear it. So on the one hand, back to the music thing, it can be done without them, and they absolutely do censor. But here's the thing. I don't think it's a good idea for anybody to, um, to kind of adopt the same victimhood mentality that we see from the left all the time. Because if you blame other people in social media and everything, and I'm not saying you're doing this, I'm not at all. I'm just simply saying that you can be shadow banned and, and, and throttled and all these other things that they do a whole bunch of times and be able to prove it. But you have kind of three choices. You can give up, you can become a victim or what you could do, you could do what so many other American groups who had to uh, face um, prejudice and suppression and everything throughout the history of our country in order to get the American dream, you just work harder. And I think that's really the only solution. Just work harder because the other two is either, you know, quit or become an eternal victim and um, becoming a victim. Just it's like it just rots your soul. That's no way to see the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rather destructive to the creative process, I would imagine, too. Uh, I, I'm not in the music industry, but I think the first thing that I would recommend if you're a new and upcomer and you think you're uh, about to sign a big record deal is make very, very certain, be very certain that they're not going to take over your sound, take over your art, and prevent you from saying the things you want to say. Because ultimately, uh, that's one of the biggest things that a lot of artists run into it's not that they agree with certain things or disagree with other things or even want to be part of a uh, a silencing of the other side as much as they are then under contract to do what a producer says. And maybe the producer has a very different agenda. I, I would just add one thing. Go drop 500 to to $1,000 and go see an, an attorney, an entertainment attorney. Don't sign anything. Don't be pressured. Take that piece of paper to an attorney. You're going to pay for it, but they'll save your they'll save your tail for decades and decades and decades because the first draft of any of these contracts is just loaded with sleaze. Yeah. All right. So there's your good advice if you're trying to break into the music profession and don't go anywhere. We'll have some more great advice coming up uh, after the mid-hour break. Before we cut for the break, though, I do need to talk to you about our friends over at Vanish Holsters. Uh, Vanish Holsters, of course, is the most comfortable holster, period. Uh, don't take my word for it. Ask the thousands of their customers that will tell you that, as well as tell you that if you start using a Vanish holster, you won't stop carrying. Uh, as I've said a multitude of occasions, fastest path to tyranny is to give up your guns. Fastest way to become a victim of violent crime is to not have your firearm on you when you need it. Lots of gun owners like myself, I've done it, I'm not pointing fingers at you guys, We'll pick out a holster, and we're, like, all excited about it, but then when we go to carry, it's not very comfortable. There's not a way to make it work. Do not let comfort be a factor in determining 
what kind of situation you run into in the event that you get into that very bad, no good occasion where you have to defend yourself or your family or your friends or neighbors. Visit Vanish Holster and see what they've got to offer. The Vanish Holster is awesome. It's designed to work without a tactical belt. It's designed to hold two additional magazines, and you can hold, carry in multiple positions. It's a fantastic product. Now, they have had to raise prices recently, and they've asked me to convey their apologies, and they also want you to be aware that there may be another price increase coming before the end of the year. Uh, that's your hint to go ahead and visit them now rather than put it off. The discount for going on our website, uh, it is down to $40 from 50 so that's a cutback as well. Again, Bidenomics, it's biting everybody, so understand that uh, they really do feel bad about it. I, I promise you they do. The conversations I had in trying to get them to extend the $50 discount, uh, it was made very clear they're out of choices. But you're not. Choose Vanish Holsters. Uh, www dot vnsh dot com backslash tapp that backslash tapp automatically activates for you a forty dollar discount take advantage of it before that too goes away uh, www dot vnsh dot com backslash tapp doug you know what to do You have the right. I have the right. We all have the Second Amendment right. And that's the truth with Tim Tapp. Is Uncle Joe Biden a threat to traditional Western values? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Four years ago, the United States was considered by both allies and enemies to be a strong and most important nation on Earth. Love her or hate her, America the Beautiful was not to be trifled with. And during the President Trump administration, even Chinese dictator Xi Jinping was respectful toward the U.S., but today, a republic is akin to a rudderless vessel spinning out of control and heading toward a self-induced crash. Even Argentina's presidential frontrunner, Javier Millet, recently described socialism as garbage and human excrement. Millet also described Uncle Joe Biden as a dangerous left-wing president who was a threat to the traditional Western values that were the foundational building blocks of the great United States of America, the one-time envy of the world. But not only is Joe Biden a threat to traditional values, we have a Congress that is nothing more than a gaggle of howling dogs sitting on sharp rocks, helping Uncle Joe waste away our national wealth, prestige, and destroy our moral compass. My fellow Americans, we must now seek providential guidance and overcome O'Biden's destructive mission. I say America is worth saving. What say you? I'm Ron Edwards. Join me live 3 p.m. Eastern to find out where. Go to theronedwards.com. Second Skull is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact-reducing products. At Second Skull, we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it. With an estimated 2.8 million Americans sustaining a traumatic brain injury each year, 
and a half a million children being treated in the ERH year for a head injury, there have been recent declines in athletic participation levels. We believe that concerns and fears of head injuries are factors contributing to these declines in activity levels. Second Skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete. Our product line of thin, lightweight, breathable, and practical solutions are each tested at independent and accredited laboratories. These products are patented and proven. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less ascetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Hello, my name is Tyler Boone, singer-songwriter and founder of the award-winning homegrown Boone's Bourbon label out of Charleston, South Carolina. During just four years, Boone's Bourbon has been awarded some incredible awards, such as the Platinum Los Angeles, Double Gold New York, Gold Las Vegas, Silver Denver, and also named Top Six in the World in Forbes. We're also being featured in Rolling Stone magazine, Billboard magazine, American Songwriter, and we're also now available in 24 states all across the country. So Boone's Bourbon is a high-proof, cash-strength bourbon at 117 proof. We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family-owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon. When I invented my pillow, my passion was to help each and every one of you. And 20 years later, all of your support is what keeps us going. Because of you, we've been able to create thousands of USA jobs and help millions get the best sleep ever. To thank you, my employees and I are bringing you a limited edition my pillow. The Giza Elegance My Pillow is made with my patented adjustable fill, the most amazing cotton, and a two-inch pipe gusset. It has four custom loft levels, machine washable and dryable, and you get my 60-day money-back guarantee and 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code TAPP or call 1-800-659-9936. That's MyPillow.com with promo code TAPP. From all of us, here at my pillow. You're listening to Tap into the Truth. This is Matt Fitzgibbons. This is Amy Hallam. This is AZ. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are indeed sharing the night together this Friday night. Got a couple of things I need to take care of before we jump back into the conversation with Matt. First and foremost, as we've discussed before, the medical profession has gone as woke as any place else. So it really is up to you to take and put your health and put it in your own hands if you want to be, you know, healthy. Uh, if you're worried about your heart, memory, swollen achy joints uh, you might want to go visit our friends over at native path they have this antarctic krill oil supplement that can put an 
into issues for all three. It's been shown to support healthy blood pressure, circulation, brain health, as well as reduce inflammation, swelling, and joint pain. And it has worked wonders in my case. My ankles and my knees are so much better than they were before I started using it. I cannot possibly express to you how much better. Uh, I've been throwing the word around miracle. Uh, it's not an exaggeration. It's been phenomenal. If they end their sponsor relationship tomorrow, I'm still going to be ordering it because it's done that good of a job. Uh, right now, no better time to try it out for yourself. Just go to fixswollenfeet.com. You can save up to 58% off of Native Path Antarctic Krill Oil. It's pure. It's effective. It's easily absorbed by the body contains omega-3 fatty acid which is really good for reducing inflammation and swelling for a limited time you can grab native path antarctic price for the unheard of low price of 23 dollars a bottle that is a deal for those of you that are listeners to tap into the truth visit fixswollenfeet.com and uh, see that for yourself also I wanted to uh, give you a little bit of a preview for next week. Don't have everybody lined up yet, but as of this moment, we're looking at Randy L. Noble and Ken Crow joining us. So it should be interesting at the very least. Uh, when we can get Ken connected, we usually have pretty good conversations. Uh, Doug in the control room right now shaking his head and saying, yep, awful big if there, though. He has a, a hard time with Skype. And he doesn't always remember to answer his phone. So <laughs> we have had fun in the past. He's a great conversationalist, though. So looking forward to that. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we will continue our conversation with the founder of PatriotMusic.com, a phenomenal historian and an even better musician. Uh, welcome back to the show, Mr. Matt Fitzgibbons. Matt, before we uh, delve back into any topics whatsoever, want to uh, give you a chance to share everybody where they can find your work. Yeah, so everything is available on my website, patriotmusic.com, and uh, I'd also like to make a little bit of an announcement, if you don't mind. I'll absolutely go right ahead. Great. As you know, and Doug knows from behind the scenes, I've been working on this for uh, quite some time now, but uh, I'm going to be starting uh, my own live cast slash podcast, and uh, the first show is going to be... Um, this coming Thursday, uh, September 7th at uh, 7 p.m. It's one hour long. It'll be every two weeks. And uh, my first topic, my first show is going to be how um, gun control uh, started the American Revolution. So it's a one-hour show with about a half hour of uh, history, a couple of little interesting sections. I'll be featuring uh, some of my tracks, many of which uh, people really haven't heard, um, some that haven't been released. And then... Uh, I'll be taking callers. Occasionally, I'll be bringing on guests and ever, you know, as as I build the listenership. But uh, and of course, you're going to be a guest. I hope. <laughs> well, just uh, let me know when, sir, and I will definitely be there. Excellent. Yeah. So you know, I've I've been saving this up, and I really wanted to. Uh, I really wanted to say it on your show because I've had a lot of good times over here. You know, on on your show over the years and. Uh, Anyway, yeah, so it's a big deal for me. You know, it takes a lot of work to get a show off the ground, and I'm only going to do one hour every two weeks, and it's not during your time slot on anything, so cool with that. <laughs> I see Doug laughing in the control. <laughs> He's really cracking up over that one. <laughs> no, it's not going to be Friday night at 7. It's Thursday on, at 7 o'clock. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I've been excited about the prospect that uh, I know I've been uh, we've talked back and forth about uh, doing the show for a long time than how I think that you're really well suited to it. And and I still kind of fall into the camp that I think uh, that just an hour every couple of weeks is going to. It's going to feel like a lot at first, but it's not going to take you very long before you're going to start thinking, is this all I'm doing? Should I do more? <laughs> I really think you'll get there pretty fast. You're probably right about that, you know, but I'm, uh, how do I say, the um, the nature of my show is going to be different from a lot of other ones. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think how many years ago it was on that I was first on your show, but my publicist, uh, you know, branded me as a as a musician uh singer songwriter and philosopher historian so my shtick i guess on these uh talk shows was to come on and talk about some current event situation in the through the lens of history you know to talk about something particularly the 18th century and so that's what i'm going to do and um as you and i have discussed I'm finding that it's, it takes an awful lot of time to do research to be able to present a topic. On the other hand, there's this old expression, you know, if you want to learn something, teach it. So it's kind of the same thing. I am kind of kind of like a history teacher at heart. You know, that's kind of my passion, that and music. So, um, yeah, it's 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 maybe it's kind of a solution to what you alluded to before the break. You know, you were saying, is it possible when social media kind of cuts you out? Well, maybe this is going to help me because I'll have my own platform to be able to share some of my music, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be great. All right. I definitely wanted to talk to you a little bit about Christopher Anthony Lunsford, uh, AKA, uh, Oliver Anthony. Everybody calls him that. That's actually the, the name that he releases his music under, uh, it's meant to be more of a distributor name uh, than a stage name, but it, it's kind of stuck. Uh, so, you know, I I can't help it. I mean, regardless of what you call them, when you look at a song like Richmond, North of Richmond, it, it's been so wildly received by the general public. And you saw the left try to discredit him. Rolling Stone attacked him uh, back when they thought he was being a conservative. And a lot of conservatives jumped on the bandwagon and said, hey, he's one of us, blah, blah, blah. And he's had to work very hard, including a recent appearance on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast, to try and say, no, I'm down the middle. I'm not political. I'm calling out rich people on both sides. I'm calling out all politicians. I'm just coming from a standpoint of this is what I see happening, and uh, you guys need to work on it. But I'm not picking one side or the other. And then as soon as he said that, he had to come back out again and say, well, I was including Joe Biden too because the Republican National Convention came out. He said, I'm talking about those guys. And then the left's like, okay, well, now he's one of us. Ha-ha, you silly Republicans. He's like, no, I'm talking about Joe Biden too. Uh, he's just a guy trying to uh, express himself, trying to do the art. Um, but everybody wants to make it political, but clearly if there wasn't something to the message and he does have kind of a raw, sincere quality to his sound and not just that song, but some of the others as well. If there wasn't something to the messaging, it certainly wouldn't have resonated the way it has. Right. Yeah. I think the way that you put it, you know, um, 
he's passionate. Um, he's very honest. Um, actually, uh, this this song that uh, broke all these records, you know, he's, he's the first person to make it to the charts without any kind of charting history um, in any form before. And uh, it's just all sorts of records that this, this thing is broke, but um, broken. But uh, but this particular song, it was uh, it was not even one of the featured ones that he was going to write. And this, you know, it's another example of the of kind of a B side. But I think this was like number five or something like that. It was one of these extra little pieces. Um, for me, when I first heard it, I had two thoughts. Um, you know, I'm born and raised in Connecticut, but I've, I've lived in Texas and California and I lived in Japan for many years. Um, but uh, my values are much more Southern. Um, and that's one of the reasons I play rock music instead of country. But uh, but back to him from um, he uh, he two things. Number one, when I first heard it, it reminded me of a trip that I took some years ago to Abingdon, um, Virginia, you know, and um, there was a uh, there was a festival going on, you know, small communities. But the festival was big in comparison with the community. Um, but that was the first time live I had a chance to hear that kind of music. And um, I guess technically he's not from Appalachia, but uh, pretty darn close. And for all intents and purposes, it's kind of easier to you know, classify him that way. Um, so it reminded me of that. And the second thing I would say with my first impression of it was, because again, coming from the Northeast, although I have similar values or you know, almost identical values to, you know, people who would be considered self-identified rednecks, you know what I mean? But I'm from up here. Right. Um, it made me think of a uh, man of constant sorrow, you know, the soggy bottom boys and oh brother, we're out thou. That sort of um, real old-fashioned Americana music that just comes from your gut. And I think that's really, really, really what resonated with everyone. That, the combination of the lyrics, and, um, and then honestly, I have to say that um, he just strikes me as one heck of a nice guy. Just a real, real good guy. And uh, I watched a bunch of his interviews on uh, Seth Rogen. And I think you're just left with this impression that he's the real deal. You know, just a red-blooded American. He turned down $8 million contracts. He's been famous for, what, two and a half weeks now? You know, going from a $750 camper, off-grid property with his wife, and, you know, serious blue-collar, struggling financially. And he's turning down $8 million contracts because it's not the kind of life that he wants. I mean, he's the real deal. Yeah. Yeah, I think what really has strikes the chord again is the one thing that's been missing from most modern pop music, regardless of the genre, is that level of raw honesty. It is so clearly there. It's uh, a kind of a, a blend somewhere between rockabilly and bluegrass, and it's such a unique style that really lends itself to being that honest and i really think between that honesty that's been missing you don't feel that pre-packaged overly produced kind of uh, mentality involved in it but then again the message itself is something that a lot of people can relate to and i think that's part of what triggered that initial attack from the left i mean one of the worst things that i think really happened to music journalism is when Rolling Stone in particular and then others started following suit was when they decided everything had to be political too. Uh, 
Rolling Stone used to be just reporting on the music. This guy should have been the toast of uh, all of the positive articles that could be written at Rolling Stone because he's managed to do something that other artists should be able to tap into if they just follow the example. But instead, they want to attack him and discredit him. Uh, I also thought it was kind of funny when he was on Joe Rogan, the effect of just a few Bible quotes seemed to have on Joe. But uh, back to the music side of it, why have we lost an honesty within music journalism? Because there's not a whole lot of that anymore. You know, um, I watched an interview many, many years ago. Frank Zappa is a musician's musician, just an amazing guy. And um, I think it would be unfair to to say that he identified with the left. He's more of a libertarian. Um, but uh, I'm going to kind of paraphrase what he said. So, you know, back in the 60s, you had these old, fat, bald, cigar-smoking guys who were, you know, from the greatest generation, and they were in the record industry. And, you know, this is when they were dealing with, like, you know, mono to stereo was a big deal to have two track recording. And they were sitting there and, they, you know, they had these these young teenagers come in and help them out with everything. And these guys would say, hey, I just heard this band that's, um, you know, sounds really good. And maybe we should track them. And the old guy would say, I don't know anything about this generation's music, but hey, I'll give it a shot. The, the kid likes it. So they took chances, you know, and they they. They, they took shots and they threw in some money in these artists. And we had some of the best music that's ever been written during that period in the 60s and the 70s. And uh, at that time, you know, record labels and everything, they honed artists. Uh, they wanted them on board and they wanted them to develop their talent with the idea that they'd stay there and, you know, help make everybody money. And they got a chance to be artists and everything, you know, leaving the drugs aside. Um, that, that were often fed to them by the record labels later in the 70s, you know, to try to take all their money and everything successfully. But I think what happened was a lot of these young guys, they displaced the old producers as their assistants, as Frank Zappa said, and they came in, um, you know, made a lot of money off of people singing about, you know, screwing the man. And lo and behold, what happened? Well, these hippies got addicted to money and they became the man. And that's what we're seeing is we're seeing the, a generation of leftists in this industry. They don't want competition. They like their monopolies and they're very, very data driven. Um, everything has got to be very, very precise in terms of data. I mean, you can't drive around this country and not turn on a classic rock station anywhere, anywhere in this country. And you'll hear the same music everywhere. You know, it's the same thing with um, pop stations. Same thing with country. Nobody takes any chances. You know, granted, a lot of it's corporate owned, but the, I guess the big takeaway to answer your question is that, um, you know, the radical ones that that took chances artistically and philosophically and everything, they they just ultimately became the man, and they are the problem. Um, they don't want anything different. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's ultimately uh, what it all boils down to. You, you've got. Uh a modernized version of the good old boys club and the good old boys don't get to stay in charge if they open up opportunities to new people. We are quickly running out of time, Matt, but we'd be remiss if we're talking about the current state of uh, the music industry, especially with politics weaving its way in and out. If we didn't talk about two instances that happened this past uh, week and a half, number one with Carlos Santana and number two with Alice Cooper, uh, doing essentially the same thing. They took a stand that made it seem as if uh, 
you know, biological reality is the truth. But then Carlos backed down. He issued an apology and he gave, he bent the knee to the transgender activist groups. Uh, Alice Cooper, not so much. And he's lost a couple of corporate uh, partners since then, one of them relatively newly signed. But uh, both of these are guys that have made enough money and have put in enough time that this doesn't really affect them that much. Uh, I'm curious why you think somebody like Carlos Santana feels like he had to bend the knee when clearly uh, the Alice Cooper approach is more appropriate that these corporate partners need him more than he needs them. Uh, what's your thoughts on that as a whole in, in the little bit of time we have left? So I don't I don't know Carlos Santana. I never met him or anything, but um, I, I did go to five high schools in four years. And I think that's relevant because I dealt with a lot of bullies. And I learned very early on that um, if you don't respond uh, in the, the proper way to a bully, uh, you're just inviting more of it. And I don't know how many years ago it was, three, four years ago or something, um, could have been a little bit less. Jordan Peterson, who's one of my favorite people and in intellects in the, on the entire planet, um, he's got an awful lot of content out there. He and Thomas Sowell are two people, S-O-W-E-L-L, um, that I would highly recommend that you check out. But Jordan Peterson said um, something along those lines. He said, because uh, he's been under attack a thousand times by the left, and he said, don't apologize. Never apologize. Be careful with what you say, but never apologize. Because eventually, you know, you're going to go through hell. He said, you'll go through hell for a while. They will put you through the ringer. But um, they'll run out of things to say if you stick to your guns. Whereas if you apologize, you know, just like that freshman in high school, you show weakness and they'll be all over you. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to have to leave things there, Matt. Uh, unfortunately, the problem with a good conversation is it always goes by way too fast. Thank you for being here as always. Look forward to our next uh, chance that we get together and definitely looking forward to the new podcast. One more time, real quick, remind everybody where they can find your work and uh, where they can look for the upcoming new podcast. So uh, everything is at PatriotMusic.com, and the new show is going to be uh, starting on September 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I've got a couple of new releases coming out, but uh, I'm sure I'll be back here at some point as well. And I always, always love hanging out with you and Doug on a Friday night. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Mr. Matt Fitzgibbon. And that's going to have to be it for tonight. Uh, as much as I hate it, but I got to let you guys go so you can go enjoy the rest of your weekend. It happens to be Labor Day weekend, not one that we speak too highly of around here because it is a socialist Marxist idea. But hey, any chance to hang out with friends and uh, enjoy some adult beverages still sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, God bless America. You guys have a great time out there. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and, most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And one more thing that I think you guys need to hear. Stop waiting around for someone to show up and save you. You are the leader you're waiting for. Have a great weekend, everybody.
using both Using both hands. <laughs> 